All right, Zig coming in on the top ten. So we have Ted Bound of the band Pacifier. Ted is a singer, songwriter, producer, engineer, all-around do-it-all musician, as well as a very cool down-to-earth guy. Ted and Pacifier are playing at the Grog Shop October 19th. That's a Thursday, October 19th. Uh, my band C Level, letter C dash level. We are a high energy funk punk reggae rock group that takes 12 string acoustic instruments and runs them through Marshall amplifiers. We are opening with our friend Mellow Man Funk. It's going to be a banger of a night. So, October 19th, the Grog Shop is where you want to be if you're in Cleveland, Ohio. Pacifier also has a new record coming out. As of right now, there are four singles available on all streaming platforms, with the newest one being Ocean Floor. Check out Ocean Floor and the other four singles wherever you get your music. Um, this was a really fun conversation. It was yet another return to the Zig at the Gig format where I recorded in my van during uh, the process of going from one gig to the next. And uh, Ted, he was uh, he was just getting off the road and was uh, walking his dog during this conversation. So there's some parts that like cut out and uh, you at times will occasionally hear like a dog breathing and uh, a squeak toy happening. It's pretty, it's pretty adorable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ted was awesome. This was a really insightful conversation because he's a guy that has all these different lenses of the music, of a musical career to like work at and work through, like as far as like writing, recording and producing and playing multiple different instruments and this was a, a very inspiring look through those multiple lenses also to mention ted's been working with hr from the bad brains on hr's new solo record so there was a lot of cool insights with working with hr which uh coda and i from sea level are huge fans of um so october 19th the grog shop pacifier be there going to be epic tickets and stuff link below um if you can like rate review subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms it helps me keep talking to cool guests like ted and sharing their insights with you and without further ado here's my conversation with ted Co lake cuca lake yeah um yeah it's k-e-u-k-a lake it's one of the finger lakes in upstate new york and it is somewhere my family has been going for about six generations on my dad's side. Um, my great grandfather built a place up there, um, I think in the forties. And, uh, we just, we've been going there a bunch and that's kind of a, a meeting place for that side of our family. We haven't been we haven't been in a while. We need to go again, but it's it's a, a lot of childhood memories, a lot of adult memories. I've been there for my brother's wedding, and the band's been there on days off. It's a great place. That's awesome. And uh, like f diving into like researching you and your family, and like it's so cool, like how music is like through like is a bloodline through your family. Like, and being the youngest, like, and having a bunch of, like, older siblings playing and your your dad playing was, like, did did you take to music right away? Or was it something you kind of shied into? No, it was something that I was born into, for sure. My my brothers, I have three older brothers, and my, my dad plays keys, my mom sings, and my brothers play bass, drums, guitar, so there was always a jam happening when I was very little all the way up till probably I was about 10 or 11 when we moved to Maryland. And then I started, you know, playing instruments myself and started bands around, around town. What do you, what did you start with? I started with piano at six um, I started taking piano lessons when I was six and then kind of got bored with that. Um, wanted, I, I don't know. I saw my brothers playing guitars and drums and stuff. And I wanted to do that stuff. So I did drums, I think in, in third grade, I got a drum set and it was like this really just bottom of the barrel, uh, 
pawn shop drum kit. I don't even remember what kind of kit it was, but it was awesome to learn on. And then in fifth grade, um, I got a guitar for Christmas and started taking lessons on guitar. And then in high school, it was kind of, I played guitar and drums and sang with a couple different bands that did like battle of bands and talent shows and stuff like that. That's sick. That's like, well, that's that now you're Dave growling it at that point, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've always just been interested in all of it. And I, I, I'm still interested in piano and keys um, more so now than I was when I was six, just because I've realized the, uh, you know, the power of that instrument. It's interesting because like it, it kind of comes through in different points. Like you really start to hear how that instrument can bring out certain aspects to a song when you kind of move past the one you're working on in a way, you know? Yeah. And like, then it unlocks like, Oh, synths are sick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, the, the amount of sound that you can get nowadays in like, you know, computer programs or built into stuff. It's just, it's insane. There's what? so many rabbit holes you can go down. Oh yeah. No, and like that's that's the beauty of any any kind of creative outlet, but particularly with music and particularly if you don't have like a I guess a home base for your your like bass instrument, you can like jump on anything and really invest into whatever. That's like that's what's so cool about like guitar or like because you can you can quickly adapt that to bass or banjo or mandolin any of the like the fretted instruments, you know, it's a easy skip too. Yeah, I've been trying to learn ukulele. Yeah. Recently, it's and weird. It, it's definitely weird because it's only four strings and it starts with a high string, yeah. so you gotta readjust your thinking about how you play. What what kind of brought on that? Are you is there something with a project that you're working on that's uke based? No, I've I've had this ukulele for a while, and it's kind of just sat in the case. And before we went to Hawaii. Past far, I went to Hawaii for the first time uh, earlier this year. Yeah. And I picked it up and I was just like, man, I wonder if we'll have an opportunity to like do a little acoustic thing. If we do, I should learn something on ukulele. So I think I learned Feel It and a couple other Past Fire songs on ukulele, just simple chord progressions. Did you? Like, I found, like, kind of bouncing from singing and playing to guitar to ukulele, it was kind of weird because everything's so, like, high up. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you know, it was, a, it was, it wasn't a difficult transition, but it was a strange feeling one when, when you're singing and playing. Yeah, I, I can agree with that for sure. It's not, I mean, if you're doing strumming, like the sort of traditional Hawaiian style strumming, it's a little bit easier, but if you're doing, you know, finger picking kind of stuff and single note stuff on the ukulele, it's definitely different when you're trying to sing over it as well. A lot of coordination going on. Maybe it's just the sound holes. The sound holes like smaller, so you can't. It it doesn't. You kind of sing over it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Maybe we got to play it. some really nice ones in Hawaii yeah. in uh, in Maui. Yeah, there was a, a shop in Maui that we stopped into, and there was some really nice, very expensive ukuleles that you didn't have that problem. You could definitely hear it pretty dang well. Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of became like a fad here. Like at one point, I remember going through high school and not knowing what a ukulele was, then not being able to unsee them anywhere. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I think they're selling them at like Urban Outfitters at one point. So <laughs> yeah. it became like the the accessory to the the hipster hippie at the party in college. The coolest guy would run his uke through the amp and play it dirty and be like covering Stooges songs, you know? <laughs> Well, Kevin Reese does that, the yeah. Reese brothers. There you go. That's cool. He shreds it with his shirt off. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so how did Pacifier do in, in, in uh, Hawaii? How was, the, how was the reception? Oh, it was great. We, were, we, just, we did two shows opening for Revolution, um, which, you know, love those guys. They've given us so many awesome opportunities, including the first time in Hawaii. 
and it was it was just two shows, so it really was not all that tough. And we stayed for a couple days after, and you know, got to see some sights. Um, Hawaii is a beautiful place. Maui is especially beautiful, and it's it's a shame what's what's happened recently there. It's crazy that we were just there. We've all mentioned that, like we were just there. Yeah, that is. I had family that just did a vacation out that way, and they say it's it's. You th- I don't know. You see a place like that that's so beautiful and like right by water everywhere. I don't know. The thought of fire in like in that sense is kind of like, it's it's so dissonant in a way. Right. You don't you don't think that that could happen. A place like that, but they also have volcanoes. Yeah, so. yes, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I guess it's. But I mean, I, maybe it's just destruction of that level is so hard to kind of comprehend, especially in a place where most people go. Or it's like a targeted go to to relax, and you know what I mean. Like to think that at that same location could be that much destruction is like such an adjacent, unstable like mindset. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that, that's. That's that's amazing that you guys had that reception though, and like it was sick, and you got to experience it, and like, I I, I have a problem like going places and just traveling. I I feel like weird if I'm not trying to do a gig or something. I don't know if that's a bad, a bad thing to have now, or like you know what I mean. Like I need the excuse of the gig to go somewhere, <laughs> like to before enjoying the area. But yeah, I don't know. I I. I much enjoy a nice non-gig related yeah. travel situation just because that's become the last 20 years of my life touring yeah. and being away. So if I got to be away, I'd rather at this point, I'd rather be with my wife on vacation somewhere, but you know, touring is a necessary part of what we do. And, you know, I recognize that. So we do it. But uh, I I definitely look forward to the times when we can go and be you know outside. We don't we don't necessarily go to a lot of shows when we're not on the road. Uh, my wife also tours. She's slightly stupid's uh, merch person for the last two years on summer tour. Yeah, <laughs> so she she understands what it's like to be away for a long time. We just got back to our our place in maryland and it's completely overgrown so we're doing some yard work today and just you know taking in the the isolation out here it was she is that how you guys met uh sort of yeah she was working with the hip abduction when we met and they were good friends of ours and i was living in st pete where she was living so we we eventually ran into each other and um you know started started dating immediately i'm from here in maryland so that we moved here before we got married and uh we were able to get a lot more land here than we could have down there in florida so we went for it that's sick where was she so she was like touring and doing that from the rip too so it was kind of like right or yeah. was it okay yeah so okay, so you guys, that's because I think that's an important like to make relationships work like that. If you both kind of have the same like kind of like mentality and work output and like kind of drive towards whatever that output is, it's kind of easier to work with those like long distance and not seeing each other for a long time. You know what I mean? Like to yeah, that it it becomes the norm. Yeah, it doesn't which... not suck, but. Exactly. I was just going to say that it, it never doesn't suck. Like you get through a week and you're like, oh, you know, that was no problem. But then two or three weeks in and sometimes we go, I mean, we try to never go more than three weeks without like flying out to see each other somewhere. But sometimes it's four or five weeks and it's just like, oh, my God, when is this going to be over? <laughs> like it's it's tough, but we we both have our our passions and things that we we want to accomplish in this life so don't want to hold each other back from either of that either of those things and like it's it's just it's awesome just to have a you know a partner in life that understands what 
I'm doing actually not just like oh yeah I understand like understands because they do it sometimes more than I do yeah and and like because if not like one person's somewhere else like kind of building up resentment for not seeing the other person you know or not having that thing so that's yeah yeah yeah. that's well sorry it's just important to find somebody like you know it's it's kind of rare that I was able to find somebody in the industry but like really just the key to being in a band and being a touring position and maintaining a relationship i think is finding somebody that has something you know like their own business or their own passions their artists or like you know really into fitness or like whatever something that they do that's just that consumes as much of their time as music and touring consumes of your time so there is that mutual understanding of this is what i do and this is (laughs) this is what i have to do sometimes but i love you and i'll be there it's i definitely agree that that's a super rare it's a super rare like meeting of like the yin and yang of each other like that's a that's awesome i'm happy you guys found that yeah me Uh, too I've lucked out the same way too. My girlfriend kind of does her own thing like that, and like it makes it easier. Like she also plays in a band too, so it makes it easier, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you guys got to record? That's... Okay, cool. Like I get it. <laughs> yeah, we have a studio here at the house. That's where we've done a lot of recording for recent past fire stuff, and it's, you know, it's kind of a very normal thing for us to be rocking out on one side of the house and she's on the other side of the house watching her shows and it's totally fine because that's that's what our business is yeah so that's one thing i kind of wanted to pick your brain about um so you grew up in this family of musicians and you're kind of like you got teachers in every aspect in a way musically but when did you get into like recording and production in that sense i went to savannah college of art and design um initially initially for film and then through the film program i figured out that they were offering a sound design major um my i think the second quarter i was at scad so within the first year they changed it and i just changed my major right away because i saw they had a recording studio that i could just spend four years learning how to record in and that seemed a lot more appealing to me. The film was daunting, still is to me. Like, I love the art form, but just, you know, it is an art form and it's it's a lot. And I wasn't necessarily clicking with the, the film people. They, they all seemed to know a lot more about film than I did. Yeah. And I felt like I would I would feel more amongst people that I I could relate to in the sound design department so i switched to that sound design was more for film and television not so much for recording music but we got away with recording a lot of music and experimenting with that and we ended up having you know a lot of great experiences in college and then after college going to studios and learning from engineers in the studios that we went to and will will never went to to college for music or for engineering he just started learning when he joined the band and started we started going to studios and he was picking the brains of the engineers and you know now he's he's amazing he's working wonders in the studio he's got his own studio in la so we we kind of uh learn a lot when we just get into it and start messing around with gear and messing with different combinations microphones and whatever it's really all about just doing it yeah well i think i i definitely agree with that and i definitely think it's like with anything you just gotta start starting like you gotta do something first and learn how to like from one point develop what you want to hear it's interesting too because like with uh with sound design like a buddy of mine made a film that we were involved with and like seeing how they handled like from a musician standpoint trying to be like oh crap how do i mix a room talking you know what i mean like 
there's yeah. it's, it's a grander thing you don't think about like is that whole show that we just filmed is that whole film level like you know what i mean like yeah it's a whole different but it's all very similar in that sense of dealing with different things and they're like their waveforms and how they fit into like like a grand scheme of is this clashing is this in phase out of phase but like with yeah you know what i mean but with with completely different things like with people talking or background noise or cr- uh, crickets chirping and like it's a really interesting like because in a, in a way like a, a band or something so like isolated in like easier i'd imagine than like a film yeah a film you've got to control every aspect usually uh, like usually it's all production post-production sound um and and that was a lot of what my classes were but you know i still out here really when i listen to podcasts if it's a new podcast a lot of times the sound design is horrible in the uh, yeah. beginning yeah and then after after a few episodes some you know they figured it out and all of a sudden oh that's compression whoa like it, it just it changes over time and some of my favorite podcasts like i can't even listen to some of their older episodes anymore because it's just it's so bad as far as the levels of people's microphones and stuff so yeah it, i i'm still thinking with my sound designer brain but i i like to apply it to music and make you know if i'm doing sound design anymore it's it's just for a song like adding sound effects to a song or making a beat with found objects stuff like that like i really i don't necessarily mess around with the the film or television putting it to a visual Uh, but it could be something that i start to do again later in life I, i started a radio show yeah and what I do have it? sound design. It's called the Pacifier Radio Hour. It's on a, a local station here. It also airs online every Saturday and Sunday. But there's sound design elements to that that I you know, incorporate in the production of that just to beef it up and make it unique. So all those skills like pay, fall into something somewhere later, for sure. Um, yeah. When, so... It, it, while in college, you guys start Pacifier, or it, like, were you writing songs before that, or was this kind of like an endeavor that came f- from like having an outlet like Pacifier? Um, yeah, I mean, I was writing songs in high school, and when I got to college, is when I met Nick Kubli, our drummer, and I just sort of played some of my rough recordings of those songs for him. And he said, let me play drums to that. And we just started messing around with those initially as, as originals. And we were doing a lot of covers, but we knew we needed to write some originals for, you know, recording projects and stuff. He, he was an illustrator, but our old keyboard player, Adam, and I were in sound design. So we were like, we need original stuff to record. Let's write another song. And we started writing a lot more when it became like a band instead of just me as a solo artist with a guy playing drums. But like I did bring probably four or five songs to the mix when I got to college. And these were the songs that I showed him and he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be in your band. And 20 years later, here we are. We're and those are the they eventually made it to the first pacifier self-titled. Um I don't believe any of those songs. Actually, yeah. So the song fit the description. Okay. Which is super rare. We like I don't think we've played it since 2005. But that song was one of the songs that I wrote in high school that we turned into a pacifier song. There was like maybe four others that didn't actually make it to the first album. They were like singles, I guess that we were put, we were putting out like little EPs in the beginning, not putting out, but like recording them and sending them to friends. And like, if we were going to play a college town nearby, 
we'd send a friend of ours that goes to that college like 50 little four song cd flyer kind of thing yeah 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 cd business people i'm sure people still have them stuck in their cd players because of how thick the uh the labels we put on them (laughs) were yeah but that's awesome. Gotta do what you gotta do. Right, right, right. What what were you like listening to at that time when you were writing some of the initial pacifier pacifier tunes? It was for me mostly like like I love Sublime, but that was kind of around the time when Long Beach Dub All Stars was coming up in their place, and um, so I'd say Long Beach Dub All Stars three eleven um really listened to a lot of the police the clash um and then of course jamaican reggae black uhuru uh, israel vibration um i i was a really big fan of g love and special sauce and and jack johnson not so much but i listened to a lot of jack johnson and stuff um dave matthews fan that stuff in high school yeah and then in college just sort of started exploring reggae and like the different styles of reggae outside of the traditional jamaican foundational reggae and discovered john brown's body uh my freshman year of college through a friend of nick's and that kind of changed everything for us we we heard a, an American reggae band with a rootsy sound, but there was an edge to it. There was sort of this uh, this cutting aspect that it it wasn't normal. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't like chilled out. It was it was in your face and great horn lines, amazing bass lines. We just as soon as we heard that, we were like, all right, we want to be an American reggae band like this. And I know we're nothing like John Brown's body, but it was a major inspiration inspiration in the beginning collectively for us to hear that and be like, oh, wow, we could we could do music like that. Yeah, that's like so many of those are clicking for me when I was going like at that age too. like. um, But that's that's incredible. And like it's those those certain artists that totally like bring that that aspiration out of out of you and like yeah. though it may not be john brown but it's body but it's 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 completely pacified that's the the side effect is you try to do something else but you find yourself um, yeah and one thing like listening back through uh to the self-titled to 16 beat like i was in that first record i really heard a lot of as, as far as like vocal phrasing like hr influence was hr somewhere in that for you at that time yeah i was just gonna say bad brains has to be (laughs) lumped into that that group because lakiji is is the meek lakiji is basically the meek goes ja children ja children yay and lakiji is lakiji lakiji yay oh yeah that's so sick yeah yeah it's it's complete you know sublime style ripoff of of somebody that was my hero at the time and didn't think much of it just like oh yeah this is what you do you just write new lyrics to old stuff <laughs> and it it's there i actually i had hr in the studio and i played him that song and he was think? like that's cool yeah. he, he thought it was cool oh that's yeah. so cool oh that's awesome. yeah it was it was interesting to like 20 years later be like hey what do you think of this song that we uh, ripped off of your song <laughs> he said it was cool i don't know he, he might not have thought it was cool but he told me he did so <laughs> well he's like cool. one of those interesting like super inspiring spiritual characters so i think i think he was pro- sure. i'm sure he was moved by it like and like that was the one cool thing sublime like inspired you to do was like straight up yoink other things and make it your own you know yeah because there's nothing new in music people are people have been doing it whether they're doing it consciously or subconsciously you know i hear i have one of my radio episodes i have like songs that are blatant um blatantly ripped off of other songs uh played one after the other and you know you can really hear where you know where nirvana 
got that that uh I forget what the song is called right now, but there's an older song. It's like, come as you are, but whatever the other, whatever they were referring to. Yeah. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's, you know, it's a direct rip of that, that line, but they made it way more famous. So was it more like a surfing bird being a complete rip from Baba Um Mau Mau, whatever the title is? For yeah. That one, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, Surfing USA was ripped off of a Chuck Berry song. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's all, it all comes from that. And it's how you express yourself. And I think, I think that that shouldn't be discouraging. It should be as like inspiring because now the world, you can do whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Legally, it might be different. But as far as like the creative endeavor, <laughs> Um, but so how, like, I, and I totally put this together, like after emailing Ryan and trying to like get in contact with you, like, how did you start working with HR? Well, I live here in Maryland. He moved from Philadelphia down here to the Eastern shore. Um, I think about three years ago and he moved about 25 minutes away from where I live, I, we have a mutual friend, James Lathos, who filmed the Finding Joseph I documentary. And James reached out to me and said, I'm sorry, we just adopted a puppy and he is excited to run around in this mode field. Um, so he, uh, he gave me HR's contact and I reached out to him and just said, I, I have a studio here in case you want to record anything i'm here and he came and visited and thought it was cool and told me he wanted to do his next album here and i was just through the roof it was awesome so he started coming over during covid it was like every wednesday almost and we just put together these 10 songs that are on this album that's coming out uh next month and uh it it sort of just happened organically i played them songs that i just had sitting around i I have a ton of just random instrumentals that i've written throughout the years and played some for him and the ones that he liked i developed them a little bit further and i got some horn players involved and um some other bass players um i'm not I'm not so great at bass, so I employed uh, Stu Brooks actually to play some bass on the record, and it was just—it was fun putting people together in the name of helping a legend yeah. of reggae, rock and roll, punk music, um, uh, just helping him out. He's—he's he's not in a great situation. Um, it's you know he's doing fine right yeah. now. But because of the, you know, his mental health issues in the past, things things turned out maybe not exactly how they should have as far as royalties. Yeah. And and getting his share of things, um, you know, from the whole bad brains thing. So. He's he's just out here still trying to to do his thing. Yeah. Um as a solo artist, as a as a roots reggae artist, uh he doesn't really want to have anything to do with the hardcore scene anymore. So we put together a roots reggae album that I think he's pretty he's pleased with. I'm pretty pleased with. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Same. Like, I've heard some of the singles that have come out, and then the one he's done, you guys did together on the Pacifier single. Um, yeah. Was that part of that process? Was that just a tune you had and, like, he added to it? Or how'd the Easy come about? Easy was the first track that we recorded together. Yeah. And it's, it's featuring Pacifier because, you know, um, the Law Records, the label really wanted to have at least one pacifier feature on there even though i'm playing on pretty much all the songs uh, yeah um like that's the one that i'm actually singing on so we we have the pacifier tag on that but 
the other guys in Pacifier aren't necessarily involved in that recording. That's just, once again, something to try and bring more attention to the track by tagging Pacifier instead of Ted yeah. Bound. Because my presence on Spotify and other streaming sites is not nearly as big. Was it? Well, yeah, I, I think it's always the soloette. Paul McCartney is not going to pull more than the Beatles. You know what I mean? Right, right, um, totally. But, uh, but you're not always going to be able to throw that the yeah. Beatles label on something. So that's true. You know, yeah. we we don't, and we don't throw the pacifier tag, primary artist tag, on everything that I feature on. But that one, we're all big fans. So it's it was so sick. Kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. And it, it came out so good, man. Such a good tune. Well, thank you. Um, There's three out and seven more to come. That's awesome. I'm so stoked. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask, like, so as far as, like, learning production and songwriting, did you see both those skills kind of grow together? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. I guess you sort of fall into a routine of uh, like how you sort of lay out a session before you actually write note one. And, you know, it's in my mind, you got to have some kind of intro and then verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, maybe another verse, maybe another chorus. Um, Yeah. I don't know. The, uh, that's just kind of like yeah. the the normal way of looking at it. But if you start with that and then realize, oh, this would sound better here, or maybe we don't need a chorus, or let's throw in a pre-chorus. Yeah. It just it comes. I guess yeah, you could say it comes hand in hand with being at the controls and looking at the Pro Tools session and saying, oh man, like. This looks lopsided. There's too much going on at the end here. Let's you know try to balance it out. I, it definitely has been something that I've done since college, is at least recording the demos and stuff. So it, it is a, a major part of writing songs. I don't very often sit down with a guitar and just write a song. It's usually like go in the studio and make a drum beat, make a bass line, vibe on that for a little bit, and then, you know, go from there. I usually usually do start with some kind of rhythmic element just to lay down the the feel of the track. Yeah, because, like, I I noticed, like, with, like, the most recent release, 16-beat, like, that compared to, like, in, in seeing it, grow throughout each album it's like each album you guys put out more and more of that kind of production end of like songwriting came into play which should happen naturally for any band that's putting more time into it but like because like on the most recent release it's really tight so i'm like to, to to have access to recording and to be thinking of that way i'd imagine writing and kind of production is kind of hand in hand for someone like yeah, I mean, a lot of these tracks are sort of hodgepodge recording sessions, like drums get recorded here at my house. And then for that one, I actually recorded the vocals in an Airbnb in Savannah on a day off. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we just needed to get some work done. So we set up and recorded vocals there and they ended up sounding decent enough. So we we did that, and then Will back, went back to L.A. and added stuff in his studio. He actually added some guitar doubling towards the end with some crazy guitar that was on the wall at the Norva in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. There was, like, a crazy – like, had all these switches that switched the effects within the guitar – so you could plug it in and like kind of get some different fuzz t- tones, different like huh. there's some delay and stuff. So he just plugged that directly into his focus right in the green room, 
and uh went to town with it so that you know the the way that we record now is not like going in the studio for three weeks and laying everything down yeah over that amount of time it's getting into whatever space we can with our mobile rig or at home recording some stems sharing them online and will mixing them was it which is a much like it's really like i think it really brings out different aspects of you guys as like sound because like from one record to the next it really like builds up in a really cool unique way and like yeah and and like living so far apart you know it seems like a way easier <laughs> process yeah well that's it's become the way that we have to do it and you know that we used to strive for more of a live sound and long shot i think is the livest sound we've gotten because we did a lot of the the drum tracks we we did some of the bass and guitar and keys we kept some of the original stuff that we we played along with nick so there is a live aspect to it because it was live whereas now we know that our chances to get in that situation for for a long enough time is pretty pretty slim so we just record when we can share files when we can and yeah so that it has much more of a uh, production heavy sound now which which i enjoy it's it's it sounds more mature right i i recorded the first album so listening to the self-titled album versus where we're at now we we've been to a bunch of studios in between and now we're self-recording again and to hear how far it's come it's definitely it's pleasing to hear the new sound that we're putting out and just like well that's like listening to yourself in any capacity you're kind of going through that oh i should have maybe hit that note different did i say the word but uh, banana yeah. funny you know what i mean like as a singer you, you're like i at least that's what i do let me put that i do that i dive in i'm like ah i could have like yeah is that too nate whatever like and then, I, I said when i'm staring at each other in <laughs> uh kiss my head yeah and that was the one take that i said i'm staring and that was the <laughs> one that got kept and i guess it it slipped I didn't I didn't catch it until it got it was out there. Yeah. And fuck. so when we mixed the uh, the vinyl version of the album, we had we had Paul Leary who did the original mix do the vinyl mix and he he switched out those words. And now it's when we're staring at each other how it should be. <laughs> but to hear that you got to get the vinyl cut, y'all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's the truth. But yeah, but it's those things. So, and then when you're on the next level of producing, mixing, and mastering, and doing all that end of it, you're thinking, well, I don't know if you do the mastering, but like on all the other ends of it, like you're now you're getting really into the weeds of like, ah, I should have turned up the mids or like. <laughs> yeah, actually, with 16 beat, um, speaking of that track, there was, uh, I put, I put the song on in the van when we got the first master back and usually i hear the master and i'm just like yep that's great yeah (laughs) but i heard it in my headphones and it sounded great but then i heard it in the car stereo and there was some some sub bass that didn't have really much mid-tone to it and it just dropped out on the chorus i didn't feel the heavy low end on the chorus and I messaged the other guys and I was just like, Mike was sitting there with me. He's like, yeah, I feel that too. So we messaged Will and we're like, Hey, maybe we're crazy, but what do you think? And Will was like, yeah, I'll go back and mess with it. So he we luckily we were in LA at the time. He was able to go back to his studio. I believe he re-recorded the bass with a different tone. And then, you know, we got it mastered again. And when I heard it, the second master, I was like, yeah, all right, that's that's all the difference right there. But, you know, I'm not that that's just one thing kind of recently that I've I've been able to catch before it goes to master. There's you know, there's stuff from the past that 
when you're in the studio and your ears are kind of shot from being in the studio for three weeks and you're, yeah. you're in the mixing phase, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. And then you hear it later and you're like, man, that's piercing. Yeah. But I couldn't I couldn't hear that it was piercing because my ears were fatigued. So it's you know, you got you got to give yourself time to not hear music and then go back to it and listen to it and see if it still has that that pizzazz or whatever it is that you liked about it. I, de- I think that's wise words. And like, especially because a lot of people now have to do it all on their own. You know, you're your own songwriter, marketer, you know, all the things you're kind of doing. And like, yeah. it's easy, like it's easy to get, caught up like I, I get caught up in performance bits because you know what i mean so i may not hear the drum fill flub at all you know what i mean but the drummer does so it's, yeah it's important to get that extra ears but also take that space i think that's really well said um you can get fixed on one part of a song and one you know one part is mixed in well enough to where you just don't hear it but then you go back to it you're like wait a minute why do we even have that there or you know Whatever you can, whatever can happen there. I guess, okay, so one thing I wanted to, I wanted to kind of jump back to HR for a second. When he when he rolls in, does he roll in by himself? Is he rolling in with a crew? Is he like, how does like, when you present him with a track, is he kind of already fumbling into a melody, into a song? What's, what's it look like with him? He is either, sometimes I go pick him up, sometimes his wife brings him uh we have a mutual friend sean who also will bring him out here to the studio so he usually rolls up with just one other person if sean's here he'll stay and hang out Lori will usually go into salisbury and go shopping or something but uh it's it's usually just him and i for a couple hours together in the studio oh my god that's so cool <laughs> like What's it yeah. like? What's it like picking up HR? Do you put? Do you play music in the car? Is it silent? Is he just like? Yeah. 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 I, I've been told that he really likes Israel Vibration. Yeah. So I'll play some Israel Vibration or Burning Spear. You know, he's just really into roots Rasta music. So we that that usually gets it going. And sometimes he'll ask if I have any, you know, new music, pacify music or new instrumentals to play for him. And uh, play. I took him grocery shopping one time Yeah. on the way home. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, how'd that go? <laughs> that was good. We yeah. got everything he needed. Yeah. What's he? <laughs> That's so sick. Um, yeah. It's he, all- he's... Just a normal dude, man. Yeah. Well, of course, of course. It's just, it's you know, it's you build up these people in your mind, you know, for years yeah. and years of like observing their music, and someone like HR who's like mythos also follows his music, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's something you know. I told you I have three older brothers. They're eight to twelve years older than me. So, in the mid '80s, early '90s. They were listening to Bad Brains all the time. So I've known of HR as like my oldest my older brother's heroes growing up. So to have him here, I actually had my oldest brother and my brother Ben, who's closest to me in age, here recording for a side project we have called The Printers. Right. Quiet Tones. Yeah, yeah. Great record. And uh thank you. Uh, HR came over to hear the mix, the final mixes yeah. of the record, and my brothers got to sit with us and listen. My brother John was just on cloud nine. Oh my god! He's like, I can't believe this is happening right now. <laughs> That's so cool. And HR was very cool with him. He was, yeah, you know, took pictures and was very gracious. That's awesome. That's so cool. Is it like when he's doing stuff like that, doing features? Is it like a different like? Is he kind of lost at parts, or does he kind of jump in knowing? Because I remember emailing you about it, and you telling me like how you kind of aided him in some direction with it, which made that part so cool. Yeah, I you know I, I sit with him. We listen to it together. 
if he doesn't have something already planned out, then we sit there and go through ideas. But it's kind of half and half with the features. He's been doing a lot of them. Yeah. And like half the time he comes in with an idea that he's concocted already. And then the other half of the time is we build something together based on, you know, whatever the song's about or whatever words we can take from the existing chorus of the song or verses of the song. Anyway, um, yeah, so H is just, you know, he's kind of a in-the-moment guy a lot of the time. We'll just let something play, and he'll just either freestyle something or he'll open his Bible and read something and then sort of sing his interpretation of whatever he just read. Sometimes he sings exactly from the Bible, and sometimes he's just like, you know, off the cuff. And that some of the songs, the song we did with Charlie Tuna, that was, uh, I just played the beat. I just played the beat, and he was like, yeah, go, press record. And he sang that chorus right away. And it was just off the top of his head. And I was like, what in the world? That that was so perfect. Yeah, I just came up with that. Like, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so sick. Like, Which I, I know a lot of Bad Brain stuff was done like that, too. Yeah. So I'm not surprised, but it's just cool to see it happen. That's, well, yeah, to be there, that's like you read about like just one take Jake's as they call them in the biz, you know, just whipping yeah. something together. And like the more and more I write and record stuff, I'm like, I don't believe it, but it's got to exist in some bleak moments, you know. Um, what if like I it guess, does? I mean, I think everyone that sings well enough has the opportunity to nail it in one take. Sometimes you don't need all eight takes that you're doing for your comp. But that's kind of that. You know, that goes back to the question you asked earlier. I will do eight takes just sort of religiously. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just my way of doing it. So even if I don't need to, I've got eight different versions of each phrase of the song in case one I hear later on. I'm like, ah, I don't like how I sang that. There's seven other versions. I think that's that's also a good rule of thumb too, because like I don't I, one I don't feel good if I get it all in one take. I'm like, give me give me five more. I can't be good. It can't be good. You know what yeah. I mean? There's something about yeah. it that the, the, the years of trying to make it right. That's like it can't just be one. Come on, let's do nine more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But also on the other end of that, it's like you're saying to have more to pick and choose from, even if you just keep it or get rid of it all. It's better there than not. right. Totally. I guess to kind of wrap up with HR, like, I guess working with, so through working with him and I guess still working with him, what are some like lessons of like songwriting or performing or just like philosophies you've taken from being that close and working with him to your own practice that you see doing when he's not around? I guess I, you know, I really, I've produced other artists before in a loose sense of the word, but I think this is kind of the first time that I've sat with an artist and written words and melodies and coached through, you know, specific parts of a song. And with HR, I've, I've learned how to do that. I, I can't say that I've now learned how to do that with everyone because he's a very unique person. Yeah. But with him, like, I've found... We, we, we have great conversations when, when he starts opening up and we can talk about some stuff, you know, usually like old tour stuff. I'll ask him, what was your favorite city you ever toured in? And then we have a two-hour conversation about how awesome Amsterdam is. And, uh, you know, we just we get off on tangents. And then once we're, once we're deep in the conversation, I'm like, hey, let's, let's record something. And that's usually when the best stuff happens is when we've we've kind of had this buffer zone of casual talking and feeling comfortable and then getting started. 
because sometimes he just comes in and he's like, all right, let's go. And we start and everybody, everybody needs a warm up. So it's, uh, it's not always like the best right away, but I've learned over time that if we get into some conversation and, you know, maybe have like some water, tea or whatever, and just get away from thinking about music for a couple minutes or half an hour or so, then the rest of the session is great. He usually brings me like muffins or he makes blueberry wine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's jack of all traits. So yeah. we usually end up talking about how good the muffins are or how he made the wine for a little while. I think that's like with someone like him, cause like three interviews, he seems a bit reserved, you know? And I think that has to do with like the uh, health issues that he's working through. So that yeah. I, I think that to have just like a casual conversation, not being like worshiped as a legend, but as a guy trying to make something right now, you know, yeah. and just not even talking about making something, but just as a person, I can see how that would loosen up, loosen up the creative juices to let something happen. Like, to feel like you're just working with a friend, you know, I think that's for someone like him or, or just, or anybody like super important to feel like you feel comfortable and you're on a team where someone's not trying to get clout or anything, but make the best thing yeah. with you. And as a producer, studio engineer, you're playing like this double role of an expert in a sonic field, but also as like a psychiatrist in a way, or like a, or a, a, a counselor in a way. Yeah. It's, it's, Definitely a different experience working with someone with, you know, mental health issues, but he is usually, if he's not talkative right away, it's usually pretty easy to get into a conversation with him. I see these interviews and I see that he gets a little bit of, you know, clammed up. And I think it's because a lot of these people are, big fans and yeah. so they yeah they ask all those questions they don't ask necessarily the questions just like you know what do you what do you like to cook or do you cook food you know yeah. and he does and he's a great cook and like i feel like he just feels tired of the same old stuff sometimes just as any musician would i hate the question who are your influences like uh, you asked sort of what we were listening to earlier. That's a different question. Yeah. But like, I, that's just such a like interview. Yeah. Well, it's a cliche. It's like, I haven't done research yeah. on you. <laughs> like that's what that question tells yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, you were dropping names and things that, you know, you said Cuca Lake in the beginning. So I'm like, Oh, okay. This guy <laughs> knows something about me. <laughs> Well, I've, I've ever since I got the email back and put it together that we've been emailing before, I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I saw awesome. that. I, I looked up your name to try and see, um, you know, what when this was and all that, and uh, I saw that we had done a project in the past. Yeah, I'm, so that's like, right. And no, it's not. But like, it what the difference is is. You know, something that could potentially be on the radio yeah. versus something that will just be an underground thing. Because, unfortunately, everything on the radio is tuned. Right. And everything on the radio is fit to a grid yep. and to a, a click track. So if you're, not, if you're not keeping up with that and competing with that, then it's just going to fall into the category of, like, you know, kind of unrefined underground yeah style stuff and i feel like he deserves to have the, the pro treatment on his vocals he's had a lot of stuff in you know the last 10 15 years where i could tell that and i don't know these people so i don't mean to like i'm not trying to down talk them yeah but they're people that were fans and they're like i'll do it for free yeah but then you get that quality yeah and you get it just a a fan that is like, oh, I recorded HR. Yeah. Which, you know, probably most of that time is getting that, like, fan conversation and yeah. not comfortable. <laughs> so I wanted to make it comfortable for him, and I wanted to make something that 
sounded professional and edited and you know something that can compete with other things in the reggae and reggae rock genres currently well i definitely think you i definitely think you did and are doing that because like you said it there's so much people putting out music and you're competing with perfect and if you're not yeah there you're not going to be uh, like how you say you're not going to be on the playlist you're not going to make the radio cut and like right and like just like you said too it's not to it's not fan service but it's like trying to make hr the best it's like I, and i'd imagine this is what you would do with anyone you would work with trying to make your client the best like that they can be there and competitively out which is going to make you know which is night and day like that makes you good at what you do like that because you care about that and like it definitely comes off yeah. with your work with hr well thanks man and with your own work you know not to sorry i was not to nerd out on the hr stuff but um but i uh, mean right. is a uh, uh, the kind of drop jump back into like the printers. Are you guys making another record, or was HR sitting in the initial to that first record that came out a while ago? No, we are working on some new stuff. We we have been for uh, a little while now, and it's just kind of been a back burner thing. Yeah. That and I hate putting it on the back burner because my family. So more recently, I've I dove back into those mixes. And I think we're really close to having another, it'll probably just be, I think it's like a five or six song EP, but we were able to get together here at the farm and record. So that was a different experience for us before we were in a studio where it was daytime hours and, you know, we had to go home and come back in the morning, but here it was just kind of however long we wanted to work. Yeah. That's awesome. And are you are you engineering all of it? Because with the first one, you had someone else record it, right? Yeah, I, they, somebody else engineered the tracking, but okay. I I engineered uh, the the mix. Okay. For the last one and this one, I'm overseeing all the tracking and mixing engineering. And when you're recording with your brothers and your dad, like. Do you notice, like, I guess, like, through, like, the first recording session and maybe, like, maybe during this most current one, do you notice weird things that they do with their playing and really kind of get the, like, oh, that's what you're doing, like, analyze it? Like, we've been playing that around the, the, the kitchen table forever, but now I see and hear it. You know what I mean? Are there tricks of the family trade that stick out? There are things that yeah. my brothers do musically that I'm like, oh, yep. There's your lick, or the, you know, there, there's your, that's your style. Uh, but no, nah, I mean, I think more the the songwriting is really what catches me about my brothers, and, and the printers for me is mostly like, I want them to take their songs. I want to help them bring their songs to life. Yeah, I have my songs are with Pacifier. And I have some songs with the printers, but I really enjoy my brothers playing and singing and songwriting. So it's just, it's a lot of fun to develop that with them and see their ideas come to life. That's beautiful. And like, wait, like who better the help than like your family doing that? Hell yeah. That's so cool. Like I, I have a couple cousins that play and we tried to do the bit, but like, it's kind of it's interesting, like because like when they don't do it as like full time or as like in depthly, um, how like yeah, I, I, even though you can grow up around it, how one relative can really drive that thing forward, and then stepping back, you kind of like get a whole different perspective of playing with your family in a way. Yeah. And like how 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 you're saying it, sometimes it's because you get to do your thing so much that now you become support. You're playing more rhythm, so they can rip on rip on a pentatonic for a little bit longer. Yeah, um, totally. And my brother John plays guitar, and he's like kind of my inspiration originally for wanting to play guitar. And he's he is way more than just a pentatonic guy. Yeah. My brother Ben and I we're the pentatonic guy. <laughs> But he's he's way more into uh, jazz phrasings and oh, that's uh, yeah Jimmy licks and just you know he's just 
he's kind of the inspiration for the other two of us brothers. He's the older one. So he introduced a lot of the, the original music that we all listened to when we were younger. So we all look up to him. That's beautiful, man. Well, Ted, thank you so much for taking so much time and chatting with me. I'm really looking forward to our yeah, gig at the Grog Shop on the 19th. Um, yeah, Grog Shop's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So super stoked about that. Super honored to be able to clear the stage for you guys. And uh, yeah, man. Um, is there anything like you want to plug before like that maybe we haven't touched upon or uh, any of the other bits like show-wise coming up? Uh, well, tonight is Thursday. I don't know when this airs, but Friday is tomorrow. What is the date tomorrow? Uh, the 22nd. 22nd. So the 22nd of September, we're releasing another song. Okay, um, sick. All of our social media is pointing towards where you can go listen to that. And it'll be out midnight tonight. So tomorrow uh, or in the past, whenever this is airing. Was it? I'm gonna probably put this out the week before or the Wednesday before. Or no shit. Yeah, it'll be the week before um, the grog gig, so we can use it as kind of okay. promo towards that. Um, cool. Well, then, what I will say is go check out <laughs> all of the singles that we've dropped in the last, uh, you know, several months, and I think at this point we're, I we're pre- we're getting pretty close to our album release. Uh, by the time we're playing the Grog Shop show. So look out for that. Well, thanks so much, man. This has been a blast. I've, I've really do- uh, enjoyed getting to dig into your your career and like how intertwined it is with your family. That's super inspiring. And just like the, the, and right the knowing that we've worked together, like this is so sick. Yeah. Um, so thank, thank you so much for your time. Of course, man. Thanks for the interview. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.